0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Oh Father, we thank you for giving us another Sunday. Father, you have brought us safely through the past week. We thank you that you have been with us in good times, in challenging times, as we learn to um, submit to our various authorities or leadership in our workplace, and as we uh, think through our role in leading and guiding others, or as we just live in this country that we are in, Father, we pray and thank you that you have been guiding us, and we pray today's passage will help us to see clearer how we as Christians will live rightly. In Christ's name we pray, Amen. Now there is this horror Franchise movies or TV series titled The Purge. Has anyone watched that before? The Purge. Maybe it's not a bad idea to skip it. I've seen the trailer. The synopsis is this that this is talking about a future topic of frightening America where every year there is a 12 hour period during which all crimes, including murder, is legal. Basically, the horror of this movie revolves around this annual 12-hour anarchy where it's absolutely Bo Ching Hu. You do whatever you want. During these 12 hours of anarchy, the government turned total blind eye to everything around. Vandalism, robbery, murder, rape, revenge. Everything is up for grabs. No help offered. No legal system to protect you. A man for himself or a woman for herself. Everyone is allowed to do what is right or what they like in their own eyes without legal consequence. Now, dear friends, how would you and I like to live in this motion picture of the perch to face that 12-hour every year? Well, in this, uh, with this motion picture in mind, I'd like to throw in one question for you today. Would you rather live under a perfect government or would you rather live under no government? No, it it may not be that easy a question to answer, but we throw it right up in the front. Well, this afternoon we come to this interesting passage of Romans 13 that deals with Christians' relationship with authorities, particularly governing authorities. Now to understand how this passage actually fits into the rest of Romans it is relevant, and its relevance to us, we need to understand what has been happening in this whole letter of Romans. So over the past weeks and in fact earlier in the year, we have been journeying through this whole book of Romans where we learn how God poured out His love um, by the sacrificial death of Jesus for you and for me, for unworthy Jews, for unworthy Gentiles. And if we truly believe that Jesus is the Christ and by confessing with our mouths that he is Lord, we will be saved. So we learn that no one deserves mercy from God, but all are saved out of the sheer overflowing grace of Christ Jesus for us. So after 11 chapters of Romans, speaking about that, we come to Romans 12 last week where the Apostle Paul describes how we should therefore rightly respond to God's great mercy to us. Let me read Romans 12one 1-2 again. We have heard it just now. Let me read it again for us. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there we have, by Romans 12, that Paul tells us that we, having received the love of God, we are no longer to live our lives for ourselves or to be mere reactive to the world. Rather, our minds are to be transformed and to be guided by the overflowing grace that we have received from Christ and from God, and we are called to live Differently, So we are to live and respond differently to God from our past rebellious self. And we are also called to live differently in this world instead of responding it the way that we would when we were not a Christian. So when, when we have that uh, in picture from Romans 12, Paul goes on, and in fact he ended last week's uh, passage with this, this summary. He said this in Romans 12, 21, he says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That means that the moment you become a Christian, you no longer have the rights for Hollywood-style revenge. You no longer have rights to be reactive and rebellious the way that we want. Because our lives have been won over, and we are now responding to a God who has given us overflowing grace. And so after commanding this, in chapter 12, Paul brings out at least two things for us. He says, therefore, as Christians, we need to express our love by serving each other in God's church. And Christians, we are also to love what is good. So when he has finished that, Paul comes now to Romans 13, and then he describes how the love of God's church is further expressed outside of church with other relationships with the government and with fellow human beings. So today we'll look at Christians' relationship with the civil authorities. Next week we'll look at our, our relationship of fellow human beings. So with that, if you have your bulletin, your Bible still open up, I hope it is, look at verse 1 of Romans 13 as Paul begins with this very clear command. Romans 13 verse 1a. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Paul begins by commanding everyone, but supposedly those who heard it are Christians, everyone to be subjected to the governing authorities. Whether the authorities acknowledge or reject God, whether they are democrats or autocrats, whether they are elected parties or they are monarchy, everyone are to be subject to the governing authorities. Now I I I'll pause here and ask you, as you hear what Paul says, what will be some concerns that you may have, or I may have, when Paul says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities? What are some of the things that comes to your mind? Perhaps some would say, but what if the government is corrupt, unfair, incapable, Do we submit to them regardless of all of that? No, we ask this because there are no shortage of experience, of life examples, of hearing from others, from history, where there will be occasions where people are reluctant to submit to authorities. Can Paul's instruction here really apply? Is that what God wants us to do? No, well, before we pursue further some of these challenging questions, we need to first come back into the context of how Paul and why Paul says this in Romans. Because he didn't speak in a vacuum. Paul doesn't speak ignorant of various kinds of government. And Paul definitely is not speaking as if governments will always be run by Christians. But there, he still Puts it up. So the context is this and we should recognize that first of all when Paul speaks in Romans and here in thirteen he's speaking to the original audience of Christians in Rome. And where is Rome? Rome is the throne of Caesar. It is a place where the Roman Emperor rules his whole empire. Now for the Roman Christians this relationship is real and they have to deal with it. Now well some of the Roman Christians they might well say this if Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. If Jesus is Lord, then I do not need to listen to Caesar as my Lord. Or to put it another way, now we no longer need to obey the Old Testament law, why should we listen to the Roman laws? And adding to the unhappiness of the people at that time, the Roman Christian, like the rest of the Roman citizens, they do struggle with some of the laws in Rome. According to history, in this era one of the big struggles they have is the Roman tax. It's exorbitant and uh, according to history that it was so un- um, it was so great that um, the people were unhappy with Nero or his senators over the extortionary taxes that they have to pay. That was the environment they were in and if this were not sufficient, some of those listening to Paul, they were Jewish Christians and they were, they were not long ago been kicked out of Rome by Claudius the Emperor and now they are back here and that's why they have so much trouble that they have to leave out leave the church and now they come back with the Gentile Christians and they are working through things. Now, as with people in history, perhaps even in our time, the Roman Christians have plenty of reason to say we should not submit to governor. But yet it is in this context that Paul says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. It's possibly an unpopular command to include in his letter if he wants to have favor with the people. Unless what he's bringing here, the submission to governing authority, is also part of Christians' expression of loving God. No, neither Paul nor his readers, or for us, who have any um, illusion that governors are perfect. But Paul brings this topic that Christians as living sacrifice to God will deal with his relationship or her relationship with the authorities rightly. And so here, Romans 13, Paul gives two reasons why Christians should submit to the governor. The first is that the governors are instituted by God from verse 1 and verse 2. And secondly, governors are God's means to bring about justice from verse 3 to 5. So there are two reasons he gives in, and then he'll put in some application. Look at the first reason with me, as I read to us again verse 1 and verse 2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority, except that which God has established. The authorities that exist, have been established by God. Consequently, Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. So, the reason he puts on is there's no authority except that which God has established. Now, that the authorities exist because God has established it. So, as Christians who understand the gospel, Paul is saying that if you understand the gospel, then it's clear that God is sovereign over the whole world. And He's sovereign over all the authorities under the world. He has total control and there's no authorities under the heavens that is not by Him. It's not in His control. So part of our true worship, Paul says, is that we need to submit to authorities as as God has placed them above us. Now I just want to bring a few points as we think about this further because first of all, when we consider orderliness and authorities, They did not come after Genesis 3 when humans fell. It existed before that. It was not created after the fall. Because when God first created humans, what did He do? He made humans and He gave them authority to name animals and creations. So God is over humans and humans were over the authorities of creation. So man has control over creation. The only thing they have to listen is that you shall not eat from the fruit from tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but that they disobey, And since the full authority can now potentially be abused, but nevertheless, orderliness and the exercise of authority continues to be in God's creation. He never intends to remove that. God has never intended his creation to be in a place or a time of anarchy. That means that the world is never meant to be in total chaos in this order where people live as their own authority. So that's one thing as we consider that we are not to do whatever seems right in our own eyes, nor are we to continue to exercise a rebellious streak that humans have since the fall. We are to restrain rebellious streak in us and we are to do what is right as we receive God's mercy. So, the expression of Christians' love to God when he comes to chapter 13 is to live in submission to what God establishes. Well, the exceptions, as we'll consider later, comes only when we are commanded specifically to sin against God. But even then, we shall come to it that the response to that kind of rebellion is to be exercised. Oh, that kind of uh, command that's against God is to be exercised um, in an orderly manner. So the general expression Paul brings up here is that Christians, in fact all, should submit to authority because God established it. Now there's a award-winning novel, maybe some of you have read it before, by William Golding called Lord of the Flies. Have anyone read it before? Okay, it must be the era because there's a school literature books for a certain age group <laughs> well in, in the lord of flies the novel tells of this fictional story of a group of british boys school boys they were stranded on an the island their plane crashed and as the boys were in the island they tried to survive and so they began to choose to live under the governance of democracy they voted a boy by the name ralph as their chief ralph came up, he set up rules for the boys to live, and initially they agreed to live by the rules. But along the way, later in the story, another boy named Jack came along, and he managed to persuade others to turn against Rath and he began to rule by dictatorship. But as it goes on in the story, as the boys in the story become more and more savagery, they eventually turn to anarchy. Eventually they reject both democracy and dictatorship and they start to run wild and without care for anything. A commentator in, on writing this book, well, it's a, it's a literature book, so plenty of people write commentaries. A commentator wrote that by the end of this book, Jack, the dictator, he began to realize that there was a higher power than his as a dictator. That that power was the devil within each of the boys. That is the evil within each of them. In fact, throughout the history, uh, throughout the story, the, the boys were dealing with a fear for uh, a beast. They were feared that there was a beast, but it turns out, it seems that the, the beast that they are afraid of wasn't hidden in the dark forest, it was hidden right in them. It was in them all along, the deep-seated rebellious heart, and their desire not to be ruled by others, but by themselves. But that is not the case christianity we're not called to carry a rebellious streak within us or to constantly judge ourselves as a better judge when we look at those who have authority over us and at any point we think that we are a better judge than them in fact Paul writes in verse 2 that rebellion against authority is rebellion against God's institution so now brothers and sisters I just want to pause here we're in Romans 13, verse one to seven. I want to ask this question: Have we ever pondered, you and I, have we ever pondered about our response and our relationship with the civil authority over us? Do we think about it much at all? If we we never even think about that before, perhaps today is a good time at this passage to just pause and think a little bit about that. Do we see our submission to our government, our governments, as an expression of? our confidence in the gospel. Have you ever thought of that? That Our submission to our government is our confidence in the gospel that God is sovereign over all. And even governments are under Christ and under God. So we should submit to the government willingly. Or perhaps we are more prone in our natural behavior to complain, to grumble, to judge, to reject authorities over us with just a bit of rebellious tendency in us. How do we relate with our governors? Now, it will be horrifying to live in the absence of government when everyone does what is right or what they like. In their own eyes, it will be horror for us to live by the rules of the jungle in Lord of Flies or to live by anarchy in the perch. In fact, the apostle Peter even agrees with Paul in this, and he says this to the Christians as well. Peter says this in his letter in 1 Peter 2, he says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, and to command those who do right. In fact, this leads us to Paul's second reason. The governing authority is God's means to bring about justice. Look at verse 3 of today's passage Paul says for rulers hold no a terror for those who do right but for those who do wrong do you want for those who do wrong do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority then do what is right and you will be commanded now part of the mandate for governors are to command command those who do right and to uh, bring about justice to those who do wrong. So, in the normal circumstances, we should, if you are a driver, to feel safe, driving at a highway at 80 kilometers, that you are doing the right thing, no one is going to give you a ticket, but you should be afraid. You are running 140. You will be looking left and right, you are looking up, if there is a camera, you will be afraid. If you are going through a custom, some of us just came back, you will feel alright, maybe tired, but if you will feel alright, if you have done nothing wrong, you are just going through the flow. But you will be frightened, in the long crowd, jam there if you have drugs in your bag. Now those who do good have no fear of governance or governmental discipline, but those who do evil, they should be afraid. Now a writer writes in regards to Romans 13, he says this, that the government is given its authority to prevent anarchy of hell. In general, government is given authority so that it will not be anarchy of hell where everyone is their own king. Now in fact, earlier in Romans 12, just last week, you know, Paul says in Romans 12:19, he says this to his listeners, Do not carry vengeance in your heart if you are um, hurt, but leave room for God's wrath. Now indeed, we, we know as Christians and as we look at the world, there are many times when we will have to wait for God to come, and Christ to come, to bring about judgment and justice. But even before that happened, God has instituted governments to make that happen, at least on this side of life. Now look at verse 4, he says this, verse 4 and verse 5, Rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servant, agents of wrath, to bring, judgment, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. So to the Roman um, Christians and also to us, we should obey civil authorities not only to avoid punishment, but it's also our conscience that God has instituted governance as instruments for His rule in order to keep orders and to set the wrongs right. Now I just want to pause here as we think about this because no government is perfect. But what happens is this. When a good government exercises justice and commands rightly, what happens? We await that there is a greater king who will bring even more perfect justice and reward in time to come. But even when a poor government that doesn't exercise it as well, we never lose heart because what we see was imperfect, we know the perfect one will come and complete it. So we are men to look at the government and recognize authorities are placed by God on them, and for us to recognize that, because all authorities are given by God. So, because of authority rather than anarchy that God wants in this world, you now Paul did not just repeat this same command. He said this. Paul said this to Titus. It's interesting that this this topic is brought up many times. In Titus three one, Paul says this. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do what is good. Now Paul didn't just say to Titus, he he also turns to his spiritual son. Timothy, he said things like that. I just want to read to you what he says to Timothy regarding his government. He says to Timothy, that you are to petition, to pray, to intercede, to give thanks for kings and those in authority because it is a pleasing act before God and it is urgently needed to pray that God would raise up good governors and leaders. Now, dear brothers and sisters, do we, do we submit to governors the way that the Bible engaged us? Do we even think about it? Because it's worth thinking of that carefully as part of our worship to God. Do we pray and intercede for our governors to pray that God will raise up good governors to grant them wisdom to lead and to execute God's mandate well? And do we give thanks even for imperfect government because their power is an exercise of God's is God's means to exercise restraint on evil and to also protect the good and to prevent an anarchy of hell where everyone does what is right in their own eyes in fact the implication of Romans 13 is quite interesting that if you look at it the implication is that actually Christians should be the best citizens I don't know if we we thought of that. I didn't think of that as hard until I come to this passage, that Christians should be the best citizens because we are not reactive to governors. We are proactive. We don't just like them because they are doing good, but we pray for them that they may do good because they have been given the authority by God. We have more time to think about that in our discussion later, but we want to now turn to our earlier concerns. What if... The governing authorities command Christians to sin against God. Or what God commands Christians to do specifically gets banned in the country. What happens then? What if we are called to do something against our conscience? Perhaps we are called to worship a monarch instead of to worship God. Perhaps if you are a medical practitioner, at some point you are forced to keep your license by practicing abortions. You have to. Or for um, Christians... Who solemnize wedding that you, to keep your license, you have to solemnize every wedding, and you have no choice of your own. What happens then is, is Paul advocating then a blind submission in in such situation? Well, the answer must be, no, isn't it? Because Romans thirteen one to seven is not Paul's whole theology on submission to governors but we have to look at the rest of the Bible. But even in these seven verses, Paul brings out one point. Look at verse 5 with me, if you would. That Paul points this out clearly that even submission is an exercise of conscience out of love for God. So Christians, we submit for our conscience because we love God. I want to bring us to some examples in the Bible, in the whole Bible, Old and New Testament. There are those occasions whereby God's people were forced to sin against God by the authority and they have to the respond but their response if you examine the Bible is actually quite amazing they do not exercise mutiny or rebellion but they exercise of restraint even when they reject the commands on them they seek to persuade the authorities and when they fail they willingly bear the consequence of what was placed On them. I'll just bring you to a few examples in Old Testament, there were just four men. You know them. They are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They are four talented young Israelite men. They were brought to um, exile because they were conquered by the Babylonians and they live under the Babylonian rules. They submit to the authorities there. They even change their name to their foreign names because it was so given to them. And they even serve the king Nebuchadnezzar. But when they were specifically commanded to disobey God, they stood their ground boldly, respectfully of the king, but rejecting the command and bearing the consequence. Now if you turn to Daniel 3, you don't have to turn now, I'll tell you the story. When you turn to Daniel 3, the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were thrown into a fiery furnace, uh, seven times hotter than usual, because they refused to worship the foreign gods and to bow to to a statue. That King Nebuchadnezzar have for them, they they address him as Majesty and King respectfully, but when they are refusal they bore the consequence. In Daniel, if you move on to chapter six, there's Daniel now he has survived Nebuchadnezzar's time and now he was under uh, the Medes and the Persians, and when he was there, he was thrown to the lion's den, rather than to refuse to worship the God. that he he worships and to um, turn away from the conscience that he has. He bore that, but still with such great respect. And it was obvious because when he was relinquished from the punishment, the king ran to him, the foreign king ran to him and hugged him and raised him up because he had never once disrespected his king. Although he rejected the command. It doesn't always turn out so nicely. In New Testament... In the New Testament, we have the apostles. They, they, were, they were preaching about Jesus, and they were told not to, and they carried on. In the end, the, the governors of the religious governors, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, they grabbed them, and they said, We command you not to speak about Jesus, and you continue to, speak, to uh, speak about Him. Are you ignoring us? And their reply was this. Let me read to you their reply. Peter and the apostles, they replied, the religious authorities in Matthew, uh, Acts 5, 29, he says, we must obey God rather than humans. And Paul himself, there's this interesting account, when Paul, in Acts 23, where he was treated badly before the religious leaders, and he was condemning a man. And suddenly they say, how dare you speak to the chief priests this way? He reframed his lips. This is what he says in Acts 23, verse 5. He said, Brothers, I did not realize that he was a high priest. For it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. So when he realized that he was a ruler, or chief priest, not that he likes him, but he refrained from abusing, giving abusing words. No, we are warned in scriptures, and we should well aware of, and Paul is well aware of, that sufferings can come for Christians, because of the gospel. But we are not called to our, to um, re- revert back to our rebellious streak wherever we face suffering, but rather we are to hold on to the grace and the overflowing mercy of God. That is a challenging thing, but that is where it comes from. From Matthew, uh, Romans 12 now to Romans 13. So, as we look back to Romans 13, this verse one to verse seven. Now, it's never Paul's intention to command a blind submission or to go against their conscience, but rather it is to paint the usual picture that Christians should have with their, or our civil authorities unless the state commands us to take on something against God's will. So Christians were to pick on these two things. The first is that God institutes the governing authorities. Second, God uses them to exercise justice. So as we come to the last two verses, how then is this actually applied? Now we have been hearing the theory. How does it get applied in our life? Let's look at verse 6 to 7 on how it looks like in our everyday lives. Verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes for the authorities that God's servant who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now for the Roman Christians who might be struggling with high taxes, Paul says, pay your taxes. Now the clear pivotal teaching of this comes from the Lord Jesus himself in the gospel. In fact, it's written in all three synoptic gospels. There was this challenge on Jesus that should they pay taxes to Caesar and in reply, Jesus says, Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God. That is a pivotal teaching in Jesus, because a few things is in that one statement. Because first of all, in saying that Jesus acknowledges that there is a place for civil authority, and a place for heavenly authority. The authority from God is greater, but at the same time the civil authority is placed by God. No, I remember when I was back in Australia, when um, Linda and I, we had to pay taxes as residents there. No, we, we made it a point, we tried to uh, pay the way that we are required. And so we included the income revenue we have for our three-room HDB flat here. That would be helpful to pay for my school fees, but well, I, I declared it. And a Singapore lady, when she heard it, she came to me and she said, she's, she's also an Australian resident and a Christian. When she heard it, she says to me, Andrew, such a silly guy. Nobody actually volunteers to pay for the HDB rental in Singapore. Because first of all, nobody knows. And second, nobody does. None of her friends pay taxes on their income on the HDB flat in Singapore. But that's not what Paul says, isn't it? Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's it's part of our submission to governing authorities to submit to civil laws as our expression of worship to God in fact it's not just taxes and revenues Paul goes further in verse 7 that we are to give respect and honour where they are due this is a stark contrast to the tendency to be grudgingly submissive or to gossip against or discredit authorities no, we are, or we are, or we can often be professional soccer players. Are you professional soccer players? We often are when World Cup or, you no, know, all the sports things happening on TV, we on the screen and suddenly we are the professional coach. Ah, that's not the way to do it. Ah, that's a guy, you know, K-Long. And we start to give professional advice to the soccer players. As if we are better runners or we're better players than them. But we have the same tendency sometimes when we flip to our newspaper or watch Politics on TV, ah, that's a terrible decision. Ah, this government is terrible. And we, we start to give all, co- all kinds of commentaries to them, not just because some of the things are wrong, but it is our tendency in our rebellious street to think of ourselves better than others. I don't know if you've done that before. Perhaps you have, and I think I have too, in various occasions, opening my mouth faster than my mind thinks. Well, perhaps Paul's instruction is not just to the Romans, but to you and to me as well. That our words and our actions, that we should give proper respect and honor due to the governing authorities, and to voice our our concerns in a respectful manner, in whatever means that's appropriate for us. Because Christians should be the best citizens in God's glory. Now, there are real tensions many a times and there will be exceptions that we still have to deal with that this passage does not deal with. But nevertheless, we must recognize that our relationship with authorities actually reveals our worship to God as well. So with that, I just want to close with a quote from a man called Abraham Kuiper. He's a Christian theologian. He was, or he happens also to be the prime minister of the Netherlands in 1905, 1901 to 1905. Let me read to you his words, even as a governor. He says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. As a prime minister who understands scriptures, Kuiper recognized that all that he was doing, all that he was ruling, it's still under the domain of Christ. It's true for Kuiper. It's true for all governors, whether they recognize that or not. And we should recognize that because Paul says that is how we should be. And so let me read verse 1 again and I'll close in prayer. Paul says, Let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which Christ, which God has established. Let me close in prayer. we have some discussion and you can have some Q&A. After that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for governments rather than anarchy. Help us to examine our attitudes and relationship with our government. Forgive us on times that we respond reactively in our old self. And Father, apart from exceptions of outright contradiction to our conscience, our morals and our obedience to you, help us to learn To give to our governors what is due to them, willingly and joyfully, as part of our spiritual act of worship to you. And Father, grant us wisdom when we have to raise concerns and disagreements and appeals, to do that respectfully, wisely, and to depend on you, for Christ's glory and His name. We pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information. Visit us online at bcdc.sg.